The scripture reading for today comes from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 18.24 A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 17.17 A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 17.9 Whoever covers an offense seeks love. But he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Proverbs 14.20 The poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. Proverbs 19.4 Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. Proverbs 27.6 Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Proverbs 27:17. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Proverbs 13:20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Proverbs 16:7. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much. I know that was a lot of scripture to be read, but uh, when it comes to the Proverbs, it's good to have a whole huge chunk. Uh, Good morning. My name is Heath. I am part of the team at Christ City. Usually you don't see me here. Usually I'm, you know, with East Van and I'm kind of the guy under the hood helping Jake to launch uh, in East Van in September. So before I get rolling... We need to actually start this in prayer. God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to look into your word, to look into Proverbs, to see what it says about friends. So as we look, I pray that you would give us understanding, that you would give us wisdom, that you would give us clarity, that we would seek it with everything that is in us. So we thank you and we praise you. Amen. Now, I've got a real nerdy confession to make. Myself, not only myself, but my whole family, we like stories of adventure, stories of survival, you know, whether they be fictional books, you know, whether I'd read to the kids at bed or, or whether they're memoirs of great explorers or even movies. Our kind of media and our entertainment kind of gravitates around this whole idea of man versus nature. So in the year 2000, if you can remember that far back, some of you probably were in diapers, but uh, there was a movie released. Now, normally I wouldn't start a, a sermon with an illustration from a movie 20 years ago, but, but the, it's compelling enough that I'm going to. So the name of this movie was Castaway, and it starred Tom Hanks, you know, the great Tom Hanks. And it was a story about a FedEx employee who was in a plane crash and was marooned on this island all by himself. Now, I was super excited about this movie. So back when Blockbuster was a thing, I tromped myself down there. I picked up my copy, and I go back, and there I set up with my wife, my sister-in-law, and a massive bowl of popcorn. What, what I found in this movie was not what I thought it was going to be. So for 143 minutes, we had this survival story, sure, but it was void of dialogue. And why I remember this so clearly I was so frustrated because my wife and my sister-in-law filled the void of this dialogue with their own verbal diarrhea. And I'm like, well, you guys shut up. I'm trying to, trying to get things going here. Instead of an action show about man versus nature, what I watched was an epic 143-minute 
existential struggle of man versus his mind. Now, if you've ever seen the movie, you know that Tom Hanks, in order to cope, in order to survive, makes a friend. But not any ordinary friend. He makes a friend from a volleyball that he names Wilson. Now, what dialogue did occur in the, in the movie is, is an engagement between him and this volleyball. And he's talking away. The volleyball helps him to, uh, you know, build fires, you know, find scavenge for food, even to help, you know, pull an abscessed tooth. Wilson also helps Tom build the raft of his escape. So at the heart-wrenching climax of the movie, we, we see Tom asleep on his raft floating after a storm, and, and we see Wilson slowly floating away. In, in a grief, Tom jumps overboard, he starts swimming, and he realizes at that moment that he has to make a choice. A choice between his friend and his rescue. So we see Tom in the water yelling these words. Wilson! You know, you can say, Wilson, I'm sorry! Yeah. The crazy scene ends with Tom Hanks lying on his raft, weeping for the loss of a friend. Now, Tom Hanks is probably the only actor that I know that could make us cry over a volleyball. But this story highlights an important, basic human need. The desire to be known and the desire to know others. Simply put, we need friends. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Four Loves, describes this need this way. He says, Friendship is unnecessary, like philosophy, like art. It has no survival value. Rather, it is one of those things that gives value to survival. As weird and as crazy story of Tom and Wilson as it is, it highlights our fundamental need for friendship, for value. For us in Vancouver, our survival also depends on friendship. Friendship is what helps us get through the emotional day-to-day drudgery of life. Now, a couple weeks ago, I had a, probably one of my best friends visit from Greece. And... Uh, we're sitting at the patio, and the first thing that comes out of his mouth was this. Heath, do you have any friends here? If friendship is so important, if this is true, why are we so lonely? If we believe friendship improves our quality of life, then why do we not foster and grow this as a culture? Why does Vancouver have a reputation as an, of an unfriendly and lonely city? Now, this is a hugely important topic for us today. Listen to what a psychologist says in a somewhat recent global article. Loneliness is a major health risk, like obesity or smoking. And public health programs should address it in the same way. Global news. That's news. In order to help us understand and perhaps point to the solution, we actually don't need a health program. We need to look back at what an ancient book says about friendship. Proverbs teaches us about what a wise friend should look like. Because as the story of, you know, Tom and Wilson points out, friendship is the cure to our loneliness. Friendship gives value to our survival. In the depths of loneliness and despair, Proverbs gives us answers. So, if you're taking notes this morning, here's our outline. We're going to look at what Proverbs has to say about what is the characteristic of a a true friend. Secondly, we're going to look at what the vulnerability of friendship is. And lastly, we're going to look at how friendship can be rekindled or revived, or in the case of Vancouver, recreated. So, before we get there, though, 
we have to have a bit of a prologue. You know what? The, when you're reading a good fantasy story and you're right at the beginning, there's this cheesy map. We need a map to help guide us through this. Because we need to learn, understand one important fact, otherwise we'll kind of miss the nuance that Proverbs has. The Hebrew word translated as friend in our English language is also happens to be the same word translated as neighbor. We'll just let you stew on that a bit. So how do we know what is what? What's the difference? See, both of them have to do with relationship, but one is of an emotional bond and the other is kind of a physical proximity bond. So wisdom, as defined in Proverbs, is skill in relationship. So when we see friend or neighbor, the difference is emotional proximity or relational proximity. Both are relational. You guys with me? Okay. So to understand this rubric that we've been going through of of righteousness and wisdom in Proverbs, so what I'm suggesting as a definition then is a wise and righteous friend or neighbor is one who disadvantages him or herself for the advantage of others. A foolish or wicked friend or neighbor is one who advantages him or herself at the disadvantage of others. So with this map in our minds, let's get going. What is or what constitutes a friend? I would say, firstly, it's loyalty. Turn with me to Proverbs 27.10. We're going to be reading a lot of Proverbs today because it's better to hear from what the scriptures say than what I have to say. So, 27.10. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. Proverbs 18.24 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 26 says, Many a man proclaims his steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. And Proverbs 17.17 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Probably the most important characteristic of a wise friend is loyalty. Now, I have a friend. I've got a... The first time I met this guy was when I was three years old, and I would go next door, and I would kick on his, you know, screen door, and we would go out and play. So I've known this guy since three. And uh, two years ago, we decided it'd be a really cool idea to uh, ride our motorcycles together all the way down to San Antonio and back. Now, let me tell you, 10,000 kilometers on a bike, it sounds really good at front, but it's, uh, you know, after, you know, run over birds and flat tires and, you know, birds in the chest at 80 mile an hour, it's a pretty harrowing, you know, trip. So we find ourselves at this uh, Tex-Mex restaurant in San Antonio. I'm eating probably the best fajita I've ever had in my life. And I look over, and I see my friend weeping. Now this guy's like the, he's the Harley guy, I'm not. And he's got full-on tattoos, sleeves, and this guy's weeping. Slightly confused, I'm like, hey dude, I'm like, are you okay? And he tells me this, he says, Heath, thanks for being my friend. You know my problems. You've seen all the struggles and hardships I've had in my life. And you've stuck beside me through thick and thin. Thank you. Now that rendered me. See, currently right now, his son is in jail with, you know, murder charges. So I'm still standing beside him. See, a loyal friend is one who knows all your ugly bits, who knows how to wound you deeply, yet chooses not to, but protects you has your back. A consistent friend is one who chooses you and says, no matter what you're going through, I got you, shoulder to shoulder. A loyal friend, in a loyal friend, there's trust, there's forgiveness, and there's acceptance. 
Ray Oldern is a pastor in Nashville, and he describes this characteristic of friendship this way. He says, a true friend knows who you really are and does not walk away. And that's powerful. Don't we long for friends that, like that? A loyal friend is not a fair-weather friend. He or she is one who knows you, who is consistent, who stays with you despite your flaws. A real friend is sacrificial in his dealings with you. So the next characteristic of a good friend is a friend who's tactful. I always haven't been this friend very much, but anyway, I digress. Proverbs 25, 17 says, Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. Now, we have this joke and saying when, when we lived in Greece, because we had a plethora of house guests. Like, it seemed like all summer, it's like house guest after house guest after house guest. So we, so we had this thing that says, house guests are like fish. They begin to stink after a couple of days. So this proverb says that friends don't overstay their welcome. Proverbs 25, 20 says, Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day, like vinegar on soda. Okay, that's a picture. Whoever blesses, 27, 14, Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. Yeah. This is my wife and I's relationship right here. Anyway, in other words, these two Proverbs, they state that real friends speak tactfully to one another. The right words at the right time, accompanied by the appropriate emotions. Proverbs 26, 18 and 19 says, Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. Now, this is one I struggle with. The only fight I've ever had with my friend was one, I'm sitting there, and, he, and I'm squirting him with a squirt gun. He'd stop, squirt. He'd stop, squirt. He'd stop, squirt. He'd stop, hit. You know, and then we're in a bloodthirsty mess, and we're on the floor, and my mom comes in like, what are you doing? Oh, nothing. You know, a real friend knows when to stop. So not overstaying your welcome, having the right words at the right time, and knowing when jokes go too far, all of these speak to actions and words that are tactful. So a true friend is not only loyal having your back, but it was one that loves you and tactfully deals with you in an appropriate way, day-to-day interactions. Now, the last characteristic of a wise and true friend is one who, who we think of, we think of it often. It's the one that gives you good counsel, good advice, even if it's difficult to hear. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Proverbs 27, 9 says, Oil and perfume make the glad heart, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. And of course, the classic 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. My wife has always told me that I really only have one hobby, and that's collecting hobbies. So one of the plethora of hobbies I have was blacksmithing. There's something horribly, deeply satisfying of taking this ugly lump of steel, sticking it in a forge, putting it to red hot, and then putting it on the anvil and beating on it until you create this interesting shape that's in your pea brain. Now, that's not what this is actually talking about. This proverb is talking about whitesmithing. Whitesmithing is the technical name of stock removal. It's, it's after you've got that rough shape and you need to finish it. And you know what happens when you finish it? You need an abrasive of some kind, like a file, a sandpaper, something that actually removes something off of that piece of steel. I'll be honest, it's the most tedious and boring part of the project. I can't tell you how many projects I've got at this stage, the pre-whitesmithing stage. It has to be a pretty 
pretty significant and amazing piece for me to spend the time to hone, to sharpen, and for me to finish. These Proverbs say that a true friend is one who sees your potential, your value, and is willing to take the time, the effort to sharpen you, to remove all the undesirable bits. Now, this isn't easy for us to receive, is it? Because to be honed, to be polished, to be sharpened, pieces of us actually have to be cut off. Things that we may not even see, but are, but are grossly visible from a mile away. In Proverbs, a wise friend, a true friend, confronts you on your stuff, your blind spots, and helps you grow. Good counsel in Proverbs isn't just about good decision-making. It's about shaping, sharpening, honing, and polishing making that butt-ugly piece of hammered steel into a beautiful piece of art. So to sum it up, a wise friend in Proverbs is one who's loyal, one who is tactful, and stemming from that, one who loves you enough to give good counsel, even though it's hard for you to hear. A righteous friend, therefore, is one who takes that risk and disadvantages himself for you. Proverbs 26 says, Many a man proclaims his steadfast love but a faithful man who can find. How many friends like that do you guys have? So we've looked at what Proverbs has said about, you know, true and wise friends. Now we must actually articulate how it can all go wrong. Interesting, like in life, some of the greatest strengths of something is also its greatest weakness. And so too is friendship. And the greatest weakness of friendship is betrayal. Proverbs 17.9 says, Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. 16.28 says, A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. Now, I have many friends that I actually consider close, true, and loyal, but I am not immune to betrayal. When I was 18 years old, I worked at a camp on the West Coast on Quadra Island, and for a whole summer I taught canoeing and kayaking. I know you're probably thinking, huh? Yeah, I know, my robust athletic body gives it away, right? But I, I became fast and furious friends with my Greek bunkmate. We spent the whole summer laughing and giggling and playing jokes on other people, you know. And uh, we also spent time crying on each other's shoulders during our relationship struggles. You know, we were 18. To quote Dickens, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Now, we kept in touch throughout all of these years. And 13 years later, after that summer, it's a crazy story, I won't get into it, but it's because of this man, I actually took my whole family and moved to Greece as missionaries and church planters. So, I go to this organization where my friend is a part of, and to help with cultural adaptation, they had this thing called the buddy system. So, if you needed to find an apartment, buy a car, pay your rent, believe me, four hours to pay your rent. So all of these things were held and, and, and helped with the buddy system. And of course, because I had a relationship with my friend, he have naturally became my buddy. So about a year into this process, things started to become a little difficult. There was a new guy on the scene. He was a 19-year-old guy. He was pretty cocky. And he was touted to be the uh, next executive assistant to my boss. Now, I actually really liked the guy, but I, personally, I didn't think he had the chops to do the job. So following protocol, I went to my buddy, my friend, and I confess the fact that, you know, there might become a time, if he's my boss, that I probably will have a hard time with this. I'll probably be jealous, and, and, and I, really, I really don't want to go there. Would you pray for me? Would you help me through this? You know, I thought, yeah, no problem. That's what the buddy system is for. 
I thought the buddy system was a friendship. I thought that he would pray for me. I thought that he would do all of these things. Yeah, was I wrong? But a week later, I get a phone call from my boss, big boss, saying that he wanted to have coffee with me. Now, naively, I think, man, this is amazing. I'd been there a year, and this guy had yet to have coffee with me one-on-one. So I'm thinking, yes, cool. So I show up early as I do, and I'm into my second Greek coffee, and my boss shows up, and out of the car gets with him another guy, another minister assistant. That should have been my first clue. So they sit down, and after the typical Greek greetings, they say in a slightly aggressive tone, so I'm going to cut to the chase. I hear you have a problem with so-and-so, the 19-year-old guy. And we're here to sort that out. Part of me died inside right there. What followed was a stripping of ministerial duty, put on a type of ministerial probation, and finally the words that I will never, ever forget. You said, in reality, Heath, we're tired of all your ideas. Our ministry is fine. All we want from you is to just shut up and do as you're told. These weren't the words of a faithful friend. There, as Proverbs 12, 18 says, there's not a slide for it, but they are the words of rash words that are like sword thrusts. Right there, I sat. I was almost catatonic, unable to formulate a response. My heart bled out right there. I realized that my friendship died that day. Not only did he not keep things in confidence, but he didn't have my back. When I needed him the most, he was strategizing on how to deal with my behavior. Rather than speaking faithful words, he was the, I realized that he was the one that stabbed me in the back and left me for dead. Things never really recovered after that day. And two years later, I left that organization depressed and completely broken. Now, lest I feel tempted to feel sorry for myself, I realized that this experience, as hard as it was, is not only unique to me. If you've been vulnerable, you have experienced betrayal. We have all been betrayed, haven't we? We've been stabbed in the back like I have, and we're all carrying around scars. We're all have, it looks like we've been through torture. We've been carrying around all of these scars of friendships from varying degrees. Betrayal is real. Betrayal kills us, and it prevents us from trusting, prevents us from opening up, prevents us from allowing friendship to flourish. We are lonely because we guard. We are lonely because we distance ourselves from this vulnerability. And that is why we don't see real friendship grow. We're afraid, really, of being hurt again, aren't we? We're afraid to trust. Betrayal is a burden, a huge burden that's difficult to deal with. My friend, for his advantage, disadvantaged me, and that was betrayal. The other significant thing that Proverbs deals with and vulnerability in friendship has to do with that of materialism. Materialism weakens the bond of friendship. Now, Proverbs has a lot to say about money and cash flow, and a lot of it, but we're not going to read all of the Proverbs on it, but here's just a few to wet your whistle. Proverbs 3, 27 and 28. Do not withhold goods from those who do, to whom it's due, when it's in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, hey, go and come again tomorrow. I'll give it to you when I have it, when you have it with you. Proverbs 14, 20 and 21 says, the poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Proverbs 19, 4, 6, and 7. Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. 
Many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. All a poor man's brothers hate him. How much more do all his friends go far from him? He pursues them with words, but does not have them. Man, that's horribly sad. These Proverbs display the raw power and lure that materialism has over and against friendship. I like books. Probably the only person I know in this room that likes books more than me is Fred. But I like books. And I had this really special book. It was a book about spiritual disciplines, and I'd had it for a long time, since it was given to me by one of my mentors when I was a child. And it had his notes in it, it has my notes in it. And and a friend of mine, when I was in Greece, he knew I had this book. And he asked me, "Uh, Heath, is it okay if I borrow, borrow your book on this subject? Ooh. I had a moment of existential crisis. Do I value my friend or my book? Let's just say I haven't seen the book since. I have another friend of mine, two friends actually, that we, there was a passel of us that grew up together. And these two friends decided in the last six months to go into business together and start a, a solar company, ironically, in Alberta. Um, so my, my one friend is really, he's straightforward, he's good with money. The other friend, yeah, he's a little flaky, and he has a track record and a history of not being such a good business guy. So I go to my first friend, and I say, look, dude, this friend here, have you seen his track record? Have you, do you actually know, if you get into bed with him, this is not going to end good. You're going to lose money, and you're going to lose your friendship. And my friend says to me this, I'm not investing anything I'm not willing to lose. That's a friend. Money and our materialism puts itself at odds with true friendship. Our our materialism, our desire for stuff and the comfort that goes with it almost forces us, demands of us to disadvantage others for ourselves. It separates, it isolates. And the loser in the scenario is real friendship. Proverbs tells us that true friendship is required of its self-sacrifice, financial loss to the benefit of others. That's hard for us to hear. Materialism combined with betrayal, that's a death knell to friendship. That's why Vancouver is a lonely city. That is why many of us struggle to keep friends. Betrayal and materialism keep us isolated in cryo chambers, you know, science fiction, right? We freeze out the need for friendship through entertainment and our busyness. And you think it could get worse, but it actually does. Not only do we freeze out our authentic friends, but we actually build false friends. You know, this is why Tom Hanks and Castaway is an interesting scenario. We all build Wilsons in our lives. We all have little volleyballs running around with us that we think are real friends. First one is an obvious one. It's an easy target to hit. It's social media. Now, a careful curated Instagram story is no substitute for intimacy. The fact that, you know, on a Facebook where we have these stupid posts, of, you have this heart-rending story and then said... If you're my real friend, you will forward this to 834 others. Don't you hate that? That's not a friend. That's stupid. Sorry. Binary code cannot replace physical friendship. We all know this is true, but we fall for this every single day. You know, when your mom dies, when when you're sitting there lonely, a Facebook thumbs up doesn't help that, does it? An Instagram story doesn't help you when you're on the side of the road and you need somebody to give you a lift to work. Social media is not our friend. It's a tool. Now, I might get in trouble with this next one, but I'm going to say it anyway. 
The next Wilson that we create has to do with the realm of our pets. They say that man, you know, dog is man's best friend. Well, clearly that person never really had a friend. Now, don't get me wrong. I come from a long line of pet people. I've, this is probably the first time in my life where I haven't had a dog. And it's kind of, I, I like dogs. I even like cats, ironically. Gerbils, yeah, whatever, all of them. My grandfather had a pet bear, if you can imagine. So hear me when I say this. Your dog, your cat, your gerbil is not your friend. It cannot replace human friendship. So the other day, I live in East Van, and I'm thinking I'm cooler than school. I'm standing at the light of, you know, Nanaimo and Hastings, and I'm crossing the street because I'm going to get some groceries. And I'm thinking, oh, this is cool. And I look over, and beside me, there's this guy, cool guy, young guy, and he's got this baby stroller. I'm thinking, oh, man, this is really cool to see a young guy as a dad out with his kid. I'm thinking, this is pretty awesome. So I'm thinking, I look at the guy, he looks at me, I nod, I kind of give him a thumbs up. And so I lean into the stroller. I pull back the veil. Oh, I just about got my nose bit off by this growling, snarling little chihuahua. I just about wet my pants. And this guy, he is laughing at me. He's like, Haha, sucker, you know how many times I've done that to people today? I'm like, let's just say I jaywalked across the street. See, in order to combat our loneliness, we anthropomorphize, if I can use that word. We anthropomorphize our pets. There's a reason why fur baby is a word. Your chihuahua cannot give you sound advice for financial investments. I'd like to see you try. Should I invest 10000 here, Fluffy? Woof, woof. Yeah, okay. Now, Proverbs, in Proverbs, a real friend, a loyal friend, a tactful friend, gives good counsel. Something that eats your couch and leaves a mess on the floor when you leave probably doesn't fit into that category just saying. See, our pets, our pets do provide value. I'm well aware of that, but not in the realm of wise friendship. The last Wilson that we create is actually a really difficult one, and it has to do with the realm of sexual intimacy. In our culture, wise and true friend, it's kind of a bit like a unicorn. They don't really exist. So we, what we do then to, to combat this is we culturally redefine what a friend is. So in the abs- absence of wise and true friendship, we foolishly redefine friendship as sexual intimacy. We think that a, you know, a vulnerable experience shared between two or three or five people is the same as a loyal friend. The problem is that casual sexual intimacy is based upon what I can get from the other, not what Proverbs describes as true friendship the disadvantaging of myself for the other. The trend I'm seeing today is in the collecting of sexual partners from different genders as a viable alternative to friendship. A plurality of partners, whether straight, same sex, is being used to fill the void meant to be entirely through friends. I see this in the current rise of the ethical non-monogamy movement. I don't know, if you've never heard of that before, Google it. It's a real thing and it's growing. C.S. Lewis describes this issue this way. He says, those who cannot conceive friendship as a substantial love, but only as a disguise or an elaboration of eros, in other words, sexuality, betray the fact that they have never had a friend. The rest of us know that we can have erotic love and friendship for the same person, yet in some ways it's less like a friendship than a love affair. 
Lovers are always talking to one another about their love. Friends hardly ever talk about their friendship. Lovers are normally face-to-face, absorbed in each other. Friends are side-by-side, absorbed in some common interest. The plurality of sexual intimacy is no substitute for authentic friendship. I've been married for 23 years. I've seen a transition in my, my relationship with my wife to true friend. You know, there's a reason why right now, most of my friends that are at the same age as, as me are all getting divorced because they, they've come through this love affair stuff and they get to the end and they realize we've got nothing in common. See you later, sucker. And this is a real thing. Sexual intimacy does not, is not a substitute for authentic friendship. That's why married couples that survive are friends and lovers. So whether it's social media, whether it's our pets or even our sexual intimacy, we're still lonely because we settle for substitute friends. Just like Tom Hanks and Wilson. This leads us to our final point. (laughs) What do we do about it? How do we rekindle? How do we recreate? How do we actually create friendship? How do we deal with this beast of loneliness? Proverbs 12, 26 says, One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Proverbs 24, 17 and 19 says, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and lead not your heart be glad when he stumbles. Verse 19 says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Do not be envious of the wicked. 25, 21 says, If your enemy is hungry, give him something to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. Sixteen seven says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies at peace with him. The way to create, the way to foster, the way to grow is to be righteous. In other words, the way to grow authentic friends is to disadvantage yourself for others. That's sacrifice. As 16.7 says, if you do this, even your worst enemies will notice. So how is this possible? How is this even a reality when we're culturally so mired in relational dysfunction? How can we do this if we're living in a forest of false friends? Now, that sounds like a Radiohead song, but anyway, I should sell it to them. But how do we be true and wise friends when we realize that our relationships, the ones, we're the ones who advantage ourselves to the advantage, disadvantage of others? How do we do this? Turn with me to John chapter 15, please. Jesus, steeped in the wisdom of Proverbs, he gives us hope. He actually gives us this path to true friendship. He says this. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. You should go and bear fruit that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the Father, my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Mired in our loneliness in Vancouver in 2019, people, these words should be a symphony to your soul to your ears. Jesus is our neighbor. 
Jesus is our friend, not in a cheesy Mr. Rogers kind of way, but in a proverb self-sacrifice kind of way. Jesus dies the death that our betrayal, our selfishness actually deserves. He, he dies so that we can actually have a true friend. He chooses us to be his friend. And he dies horribly to accomplish that. Jesus becomes wisdom. He becomes righteousness. In other words, true work and relationship. He, he does that for us by his sacrificial death, burial, and his resurrection. We become his friend. And that still blows me away. And this act gives us a new heart. The actual ability to be a wise friend. Jesus gives me the ability to be a wise friend. See, with Jesus as our friend, we could cast away all of these falsity things that we're doing. All of these Wilsons in our life. In Jesus, we can choose rescue over death. We can choose rescue like Wilson and Tom. We can be on the raft, saved. In Jesus, we're also satisfied. And through him, we have the capacity to make authentic friends. With Jesus as our friend, we have the ability to actually be a friend to others. Through Jesus, we can actually sacrifice ourselves for our, our friends, but even for our enemies. Now, some of us here this morning, quite frankly, need to repent. We've been looking for our answers to loneliness through cures for our inner despair, through stuff, through our cash flow, through our false Wilsons. Others of us here this morning are just feeling used and abused. You have friends. You've been righteous. You've been living out, and you've been sacrificial, and, and you, you're feeling empty. You're forgetting that Jesus is actually your source. You need to be refilled here this morning. And some of us are thinking, well, ooh, yeah, i got to be a better friend. Yep, I can do that. And so you walk out of here you're thinking that you need to try harder, work harder, be better, as if thinking your own merit can actually solve this. Yeah, right. This morning, wherever you are on this spectrum, whether it be relational burnout or deep despair, know that Jesus gives you the capacity to actually thrive. Proverbs points to that he first loved us when we were his enemies. In an ultimate way, he disadvantaged himself for us by dying to become our friend. Proverbs 18.24 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin. Those companions are the Wilsons that we have. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. People, Jesus is that friend described in Proverbs. Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.